Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. For those of us who are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes after the age of, say, 18 or 19, we've had a different experience. Many people were diagnosed with diabetes and given a bag full of insulin, a couple of pamphlets about diabetes and what it is and how it's managed, and sent along their merry way with no real diabetes education, at least right after diagnosis. When people don't have diabetes education, they feel really unsteady on their feet, and it's really hard to maintain a healthy emotional state. And when you have no idea what to do to manage your diabetes and how to keep yourself healthy, it's a really unsettling feeling. And my guest on this episode of the podcast has firsthand experience with this exact thing. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Stephanie Norby. Stephanie was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes about seven years ago at the age of 27. And at the time, they didn't know whether she had type 1 or type 2. She went in to see the doctor for a different reason and came out with an ambiguous diabetes diagnosis with no information and no guidance on what to do. And this caused her a lot of challenges. I am sure that many of my listeners can relate to Stephanie's experience. And I can't wait for you to hear her story. Here's my conversation with Stephanie. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really am excited to talk to you about your story and the challenges you've had with diabetes over the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So let's start off by just hearing about you and who you are and your diagnosis story with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, my name is Steph Norby. I am... 34 years old. I've had diabetes type one, um, for seven years now I was diagnosed on February 4th, 2015. I will never forget the date. Um, I actually went into the hospital over the weekend of that early February and knew I had a urinary tract infection. So I, it just got really bad and my doctor wasn't open. So I went in it's a military hospital. My husband was in the military at the time. And so we went in, they did some, they wanted to do some tests. I had a newer doctor with me. So he was a lot more cautious, if you will. We we did a urine analysis and he didn't really say much. He just kind of came back in the room after the results came in and he said, you know, if you don't mind, I just want to run some more tests and just see if there's anything else going on. And I thought, you know, no problem, like nothing else to do on this Saturday in Texas. So let's do it. And so it took about five hours (laughs) of testing with me sitting there, just not feeling great. And I had five doctors walk into the room kind of look at me. It's like, okay, what's going on? You know, I just really want, you know, just give me the drugs to take for the UTI and I'll be on my way. Uh, and they all looked at me and they said, you're a diabetic. And it was just one of those was like, okay, you're, you're kidding. Right. I actually laughed and 
didn't believe them, thought, okay, they're bored. <laughs> they're just doing this uh, to, to pass the time, I guess. Uh, but no such luck. They said my urine was, I was at 500, over 500 on my urine. I was 376 glucose, the finger stick glucose, but it wasn't, I didn't think that was terrible. I was like, okay. I mean, I'm still standing upright and everything. And they're like, we don't know how you are, but here you go. We're going to give you some, some drugs. We'll show you how to inject, uh, insulin and basically be on your way. Oh, and by the way, we don't know if you're a type one or a type two. So we're also going to give you metformin to take. So it was one of those, I already didn't have any idea what diabetes entailed all, you know, what most people know about diabetes is type two and didn't know anything beyond that. So when I walked out of the hospital with two big brown bags full of all of my supplies, it was one of those things that was just like, okay, what now, like what, what's going to happen? Um, and especially since they didn't know how to diagnose me at the time, it was even more confusing. So for the next month, month and a half, I was on both insulin and metformin and the insulin would drop my blood sugar an extreme amount. And the metformin didn't seem to do anything, but at the same time, I either misheard or they misspoke. And what I understood was I needed to drop my carb count to 30 grams of carbs per day, not per meal. So I immediately, I, you know, it's, that was a big issue in itself. So I did start losing a lot of weight at that time and probably having more issues from the insulin because of that. I just wasn't getting enough um, carbs on board throughout the day to even function. But other than that, I mean, it was um, my story. I think like I told you before, it's different. I didn't have the normal signs and symptoms that everyone does. I, it was a very stressful time in our life. We had just moved back from Germany uh, within the last year, and we were on a military base in Texas. My husband was working all the time. I couldn't find a job because the market was saturated. So it was just, it was a really, really stressful time for us. And so I actually gained weight. I drank a lot of water and liquids as it is. So it was nothing new to have water increase for me. Um, the only thing that really increased was the lethargy. There were some days where I would make it from my bed to the couch and then have to take a nap. I could barely keep my head up. There were days that I could do less than an hour of work. And luckily I was working from home. That was an absolute saving grace, but it was not, obviously it was a big deal, but I thought, oh, it's just stress. It's fine. I, you know, I'm not going to have any issue, but no, that, that was definitely not it. So when you left the hospital, did you have an appointment to see an endocrinologist? They, so I was actually trying to think about this. I don't know if I had an appointment as soon as I left or I had to call once I left, but they did set me up with someone, uh, within a week after I was diagnosed and bad part about that is, is I basically was given handouts and that was it. It was one of those like, well, since we're not sure what to do with you right now, here is a stack of handouts on how to change your diet. And 
that was really it. Um, I don't even remember being shown how to use the the needle um, and the vial insulin. Luckily, I you know I had no issue with it, but I don't remember having a lot of information given to me other than just here's the paperwork. Go on your merry way. Good luck in life. <laughs> this is a story that we hear so much in people who are diagnosed as adults, either the 20s or 30s or 40s, where, well, a couple of things. First of all, we don't know whether you're type one or type two, and we're going to assume we're type, you're type two. So here's some drugs and here you go and goodbye. And the other thing is giving you a bag with some insulin, some papers and say, good luck. We'll see you in six months. And that is a recipe in my experience for diabetes distress, because the first thing that we have to have when we're diagnosed with diabetes is a good understanding about what's going on. And while we're never going to understand exactly, you know, how many carbs are in a certain meal or how to dose correctly for insulin, that's the loading process. What condition you have, you know, what's causing it and what you can do in general to um, manage it is so important to feel confident and steady on your feet. And when you don't have that, it must be super challenging. Well, yeah, absolutely. And especially because I, I wasn't taught the language of diabetes. So bolus and, you know, like the, can't even think of any, <laughs> I know they're all out there. I mean, all the terminology that we're supposed to use and no, I was not taught. And to be honest, I didn't start learning these words until three years ago. I, I was in Washington state and talking to a nurse with type one diabetes. And she started saying these words. I'm like, what are you talking about? What does this mean? Um, it's horrible. I mean, the language that I use, I mean, it made sense to me, but you know, I just wasn't given any of this education. And I also had no idea that there was a diabetes community out there. And I think that's been the hardest is because I'm not, you know, I'm usually not one to go out and find a group to support. I'm a very close knit, you know, I just want my family, my husband, my friends type thing, but this is a big deal, um, to be able to have people who are going through the same thing as you, and to be able to give you feedback and say, well, this is what worked for me. And I didn't have that. And I didn't, even though I'm a very action oriented person, I didn't really go out and start looking for that community until recently. And so I think, you know, that's something huge for people starting out, whether it's the the families of small kids who would get diagnosed or as adults, you know, regardless, I think we just need to have those, that support system around us to say, Hey, you're not alone. You're not crazy. These are some things that could help you understand this better and just give you that direction. There have been so many people recently diagnosed as adults. We don't, we really don't know why this is happening, but there are more and more people being diagnosed with type one diabetes older and older. So in the twenties, thirties, forties, even fifties and sixties. And it's a very different experience than being diagnosed when you're 10 or five or even 18, because there are built-in communities. There's built-in education. When a child is diagnosed with diabetes, there's a process that they go through to learn about diabetes. Their parents are involved. And then there are ways for them to be plugged into the community. And with adults, it's kind of a free-for-all and it's really quite sad. And it makes things really challenging for adults and feeling like you're all alone, like your experiences are crazy. I remember feeling that way when I was um, diagnosed. Um, I had a little bit of a community. I had a lot more education than it sounds like you did, but certainly not really knowing what's normal and what's not. And 
as adults, we need to understand that and we need to be able to have the resources uh, to be able to have that support and have that understanding in a much better way. And I think that your story really shows a big gap in our system. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, granted, I, I don't like to to knock on the military, but I mean, the care that you get in in some respects within a military system, I feel, at least in my experience, is very much lacking. Um, you are sent off post a lot for specialists, which is great. They at least integrate with other medical providers within the community. But I think it's just it's just not the same. I, you know, being in the military community and now being civilian, like it's very different care. Um, but still, I mean, regardless, there are definitely, I mean, people experience this no matter who their provider is. So unless I think you have someone who can really help and support you from that get-go and give you, you know, be more positive and, and give you that information. Um, it is, it's a lot harder to, to navigate starting out because you do kind of feel isolated and on your own. And I think it's maybe the military, but I think it's also primary care doctors and ER doctors who don't know much enough about type one diabetes to be all that helpful. So yes. you come in and you have an elevated blood sugar and you're 27 years old. Well, you meet, you are past the cutoff of, in their minds about what type one diabetes is. So you must have type two yep. and they don't know enough to be able to do tests for antibodies and to understand that there are ways to actually figure out what sort of diabetes you have, which does us all a really big disservice. And so, you know, we talk about primary care doctors and going to the ER with diabetes, as we all know, or for those of us who have been in the ER with diabetes, that can be a real big challenge, whether it's a diagnosis or whether it's after diagnosis, because they don't know enough to be helpful. And you always know a lot more than they do. Actually, not always, but a lot of times the person with diabetes knows a lot more than the doctor helping them um, and trying to treat them. So that's a whole nother podcast episode, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something we should know. One other thing we want to talk about, Steph, was your experience having diabetes, but also having some other autoimmune conditions. Um, you mentioned you have fibromyalgia and also are on the watch for Hashimoto's. And I want to hear about that experience and how the combination of diabetes, fibromyalgia, and a possibility of a thyroid condition um, have impacted you, both your diabetes management, but also your mental health. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. So I spent 18 years <laughs> trying to figure out the whole fibro piece um, and was actually officially diagnosed basically via elimination uh, because of all of the other things I didn't quite fit into the right box. And I'm definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm fibro through and through. I mean, all the research I've done, the classes I've taken, it's definitely, I mean, I exhibit all of those signs and symptoms. Um, so, I mean, at least I have an accurate diagnosis, but taking 18 years to get there and I was officially diagnosed with it about six months before getting the diabetes diagnosis. So being kind of that one-two punch of, Hey, you've got this. Oh, by the way, now you've got this. Um, that was a big, that was a major struggle for me. Um, in one respect, it was nice. Um, I guess on the diabetes side, it was great to get the diagnosis and get my blood sugars under control because that was actually causing my fibro symptoms to flare more. So it was all of this, you know, I was exhibiting these physical signs and pain constantly and not knowing why or what to do about it. And, you know, I still have the issues, but 
being able to get my blood sugars down, it was crazy. I mean, it made a big difference just in my overall well-being. But again, it's still a very big mental, I guess, just struggle. Um, you know, there I have kind of call it my roller coaster. You know, I I'll be on a high and be doing good for a couple of weeks. And, and literally it'll only last a week or two. And then all of a sudden I shoot straight back down the ride and I'm at the bottom and just feeling awful. And one kind of affects the other. If my blood sugar is really high, a lot of times I will have more fibro symptoms or vice versa. Am I, if I'm in a fibro flare up, my sugars will react. So it's a big struggle to try to balance both of those um, in the most recent instance, I herniated two of my cervical discs in December, not doing anything fun. I literally stretched in my sleep. Great story. So, <laughs> but after it happened, it was my body reacted and it, it instantly, I could feel because of the, the nerve impingement, I had just constant tingling and pain in my neck and down my right arm. I could feel every single muscle spasming for about a week. I'm a massage therapist, so I know the muscles. So I can literally pinpoint every single one. I'm like, oh, great. I can, I can feel all of that. That's awesome. Um, the worst part was probably a week after it happened. You know, I had really great care to, you know, to get, um, you know, get everything scheduled, get a, get a steroid on board. But the problem is, as most of us know with diabetes, steroid injections can cause sugar issues. So the first injection I had, it only caused issues for a couple of days. Um, but then I've also had some internal, a lot of internal issues, um, gastric issues, and we think it's a vagus nerve piece of that fibro that's just causing all of these other flare-ups. Um, I wasn't able to eat for quite a long time. Um, I went literally months with only having a few, you know, pieces of fruit a day or water lost a lot of weight, um, and just not doing good. And then I started my gut health started to get a little better, but my neck started to get worse again. And so I actually had to go in for a different type of injection, um, because I did not want to jump straight into surgery. So we tried this new injection and while it's helped my neck, my sugars have been typically like, as soon I have the dawn phenomenon to an extreme, because as soon as I wake up within that half hour, my sugar is going straight up. And I'm usually sitting between 250 and some days it's been up to 450, um, for the past three weeks. And so it's been an even bigger struggle recently to try to balance this. And, you know, like you've talked to your other guests in the past, I mean, the burnout is real. And I feel, you know, my depression symptoms have increased significantly. I, this year I have completely, like I've stopped engaging in my normal activities. I have pushed all of my friends out. Basically, I just have not had the mental capacity or the time, um, in my mind to, to be able to interact with people, let alone the energy to do so. Um, I'm trying to work as much as I can, but it's like, I'm seeing fewer clients than normal on top of one to three appointments for five days a week. And it's just been a complete exhaustion. So, you know, that's, being able to balance both of those has been, yeah, like a lot of people deal with, it's just a real struggle daily. Yeah. 
I feel like you have to choose between one or the other when your blood sugars are good, your fibromyalgia is not and, and vice versa. It sounds like it's a, it's kind of a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah. And also, you know, I want to appreciate and point out that for you, you know, the, the symptoms that you're experiencing, the muscle spasms and the pain, those are real. And those really do get in your way. We talk a lot about with diabetes, mental health, that you're feeling burnt out. You're feeling overwhelmed. All of those emotions get in the way. And I talk a lot about how to push through those things, but when you're experiencing physical pain and there's not much you can do about it, um, there's no more management you can do that really is a struggle that is, you know, hard to cope with. And I want to just point that out and, and, uh, let you know that I hear you in that struggle. Yeah. Thank you. Cause it is, it's definitely, it's that the constant going back and forth, like, okay, mentally, I am really upset about my numbers right now. However, that's not the most important issue I need to deal with. I need to focus on these physical symptoms and, you know, I'm being a very action oriented person. Like I want to find out I've tried, you know, I'm trying anything and everything I'm doing research. I'm talking to professionals. I'm going to my providers with, Hey, this is what I think it is. These are the tests that I think we should run, you know, or whatever it is. And usually they're like, okay, great. You know, I mean, you, you know, what's going on and you know, this is, we're on board. So at least I have that support, but it's taking a lot of extra time on my part to try to figure this out without being able to just go to someone and say, what do I do? Like, tell, tell me, what do I do? And, um, you know, they're, they're just as flabbergasted as I am with some stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of my listeners also have comorbid autoimmune conditions, whether it's celiac disease or fibromyalgia or any of the other variety of um, autoimmune disorders that come along with diabetes or that th- there's a lot, that, a lot that goes into diabetes and autoimmune disorders tend to stick together. That The struggle is definitely very real and very challenging. So as we wrap up today, I'd love to hear from you. What is your best piece of advice for somebody who is diagnosed with diabetes in their late twenties. We have a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who have been diagnosed later in life or twenties is not later in life, but later than what people consider to be kind of the typical diagnosis um, age of people with type one diabetes. Yes. Not that juvenile diabetes. (laughs) What sort of advice would you give to somebody who's diagnosed in their late twenties with diabetes about how to cope um, and to stay healthy mentally? Yeah. For me, the big piece is find your community, find people who can support you and who understand what you're going through can give you those pieces of information that allow you to kind of go on your own personal path. I mean, not everyone has the same journey, but we can all be there to support each other and be able to, you know, provide that information so that you can take care of yourself. Cause like you said, you know, sometimes we go into the doctor and we know more than they do. And obviously we know more about ourselves than, than any of our providers do. So find your community and take action, be able to, you know, the hardest thing sometimes is we want to sit in a corner in a dark room and just say, it's happening to me. And it's hard to get out of that negative feedback loop sometimes of this is happening to me. Why me, but be able to take action and say, okay, 
this is happening to me. I do have to live with it. It's not going away. So you have to make friends with it to a point, but then also be able to just figure out what you need to do to feel your best and live your best life with diabetes. So that's definitely when I find myself in a dark place, it's the the finding that community and taking action and just making sure that I'm doing the positive things I need to and taking those steps to, to make myself feel better. I love that. I love the, what you said about living your best life with diabetes, because so often we think it's kind of, I can either live my best life or deal with my diabetes. And that is the, where the challenges come up. If we're able to say I have diabetes and it's going to be along with me. So how, what can I do to live my best life along with diabetes? You're in such better shape. Yeah. Well, Steph, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. I know it's going to benefit a lot of my listeners. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and share it with a friend. Send them a link in a text or an email and let them know how much they'll enjoy this episode. I would really appreciate it. Also, if you haven't yet read a copy of my book, I want to encourage you to download your free copy by going to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. That's thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. You can read all about the book there and download your free copy right away. And of course, I always love hearing from my listeners. So please feel free to email me at mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at thediabetespsychologist. And be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes is not easy, but you can have an easier time with it. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com. And be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.